Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Fontan with a Future podcast. My name is Taylor, and I'm a medical student living with a single ventricle heart. Join me as I explain Fontan physiology, explore new congenital heart disease research, and share about my experience as a patient and doctor in training. In this episode, I'm going to explain heart anatomy, talk about different types of congenital heart defects, and discuss why I think it's so important for everyone to understand their own heart diagnosis. Before we begin, the information in this podcast is not medical advice. It's important to consult your physician before making medical and lifestyle decisions that may affect your health. everyone. Welcome back to our second episode of the Fontan with the Future podcast. I'm Taylor, your host, and I'm so excited to be back again for another week. Thank you all so much for those of you who listened to my first episode um, and left me some wonderful messages and comments. Really enjoyed hearing what you all thought. So today I want to cover kind of another introductory topic that I think is really important for every person to understand whether you are a heart warrior and you have your own diagnosis or you are a parent or a family member to someone who is diagnosed with CHD. I think it's very important to have an understanding of what is the general typical cardiac anatomy and what your own personal cardiac anatomy is. I think a lot of times in CHD and talking to other people, there are some individuals that have a really great grasp of what their diagnosis is, what surgical procedures they required, but I think there's others who can just find the whole thing very confusing, and to be honest, it is very confusing and very complicated. I think when we're children, a lot of times we're able to see physicians that are pediatricians and pediatric cardiologists, and they have a very deep understanding and knowledge um, of some of the most common heart defects. But when we start to grow older and we start seeing other doctors that maybe are not quite as used to dealing with patients who have CHD and heart defects, it can become more challenging to advocate for yourself if you don't have a good grasp of your medical conditions. Some of us may think, well, this isn't really a big deal because doctors can always look into my medical chart and look back at my past medical records to kind of understand what's going on. However, this is not true in every situation. For instance, if you need to go to the emergency department for something or you find yourself out of state or in a different area, physicians may not always have access to your medical records um, and you will be stuck either trying to explain what's going on with your body or waiting for them to try to retrieve these records, which can take a really long time. I can even give an example of one time when I needed to go to the emergency department and the physician had a lot of questions for me. Fortunately, I was able to give them some good answers, just kind of general information about my heart condition and some of the differences that they might see on some of their tests. But for people who may not feel comfortable responding to questions about their heart condition, this can be a really difficult situation because the physician doesn't know how to properly treat you and you aren't able to communicate some of your needs. 
The expectation is not that you can sit down and draw out a picture of your heart or recite years and years worth of medical information. The expectation is that when asked, you can give a brief summary of your heart condition. For me, I usually like to say, I'm a single ventricle patient. I received the Fontan procedure. I also have dextrocardia, so my EKG might appear different than someone whose heart is facing in the normal direction. I also tend to have oxygen saturations that are in the mid to low 90s or even high 80s, and that is normal for me. So that is just an example of something that you could communicate to physicians that would be really helpful to enhance your care, especially when you're working with someone who is unfamiliar with your condition. Hopefully, as I start to review some of this information that I want to share with you today, you can be formulating in your mind things that you know about your medical condition or things that you might want to clarify or ask about your medical condition so you can be prepared to provide helpful answers and resources to doctors who are trying to treat you. So first and foremost, I want to explain a little bit about typical cardiac anatomy. In medical school, we always talk about how it's so important to learn what is, quote, normal or most typical so that we can then detect and understand what would be considered abnormal or more unusual for patients. Generally speaking, the heart is made out of four chambers and has some valves and connecting tubes that help blood move throughout the body. I know this is very difficult to picture when I just explain it using words, so feel free to pause this recording, quick go online and Google a heart image so you can kind of follow along and visualize this with me if that helps. Usually we have blood that is pumped out to the body and then returns to the heart through veins. All of these veins collect into what's called the superior and the inferior vena cava. And these two large tubes dump all the blood that has just been out in our body back into our heart. And they dump it right into our right atrium. This is the first entry point for blood returning to the heart. From the atrium, the right atrium, the blood then travels through the tricuspid valve into the right ventricle. Now the right ventricle is one of the two really muscular pumping chambers in the heart. And what happens when the right ventricle contracts is that it pushes all of the blood through the pulmonary valve into the pulmonary trunk and arteries. Now the pulmonary trunk and arteries are the tubes that deliver the blood from the heart into the lungs. So the heart, the blood goes from the body into the right side of the heart out to the lungs. Then from the lungs, the blood collects oxygen and it gives off other gases and waste products and it comes back to the left side of the heart through the pulmonary veins. These pulmonary veins dump off all the blood that has just been in the lungs and has just received brand new oxygen into the left atrium. The left atrium then propels this blood forward through the mitral valve into the left ventricle. The left ventricle is an even bigger and stronger pumping chamber than the right ventricle because it's the left ventricle's job to pump all of this newly oxygenated blood out through the aortic valve 
into the aortic arch and to the rest of the body. So the left ventricle is kind of like that huge critical muscle that the body needs to make sure that the blood is getting adequately distributed to the body. All this blood is now newly oxygenated, so it's so important to get it out to the tissues in all of our body. And once all this new blood gets to our body, it then is returned back to the heart again through the veins. So it's this just continuous ongoing cycle of body to right heart to lungs to left heart to body. Now, when we use the term congenital heart defect, what we're referring to is any structural abnormality that can happen in the heart. That could be something like a hole between the walls of different chambers. It could be an abnormality in one of the valves in the heart that prevents blood from flowing through properly or even causes blood to flow backwards instead of forwards. It can also refer to abnormalities in how the tubes and vessels that transport blood to and from the heart are positioned. Sometimes there are vessels that are missing. Sometimes there are vessels that are going into the wrong chambers. And all of this can cause a lot of issues when it comes to moving the blood forward through the cardiac cycle so that newly oxygenated blood can be returned to the body. The term congenital heart disease usually refers to the body's condition in light of the different congenital heart defects. For example, a congenital heart defect like tricuspid atresia means that the tricuspid valve never formed properly between the right atrium and right ventricle. However, the congenital heart disease is manifested as decreased blood oxygen saturations, difficulty with exercise, and increased fatigue on exertion due to decreased movement of unoxygenated blood to the lungs and out to the body again. Many times we use the terms congenital heart defects and congenital heart disease interchangeably. Congenital heart defects can come in many shapes and sizes. They are so complex and so wide-ranging that it can be difficult to fully cover all of the different defects and ways that cardiac development can go wrong. However, I want to provide a simple framework that they teach us in medical school to help people categorize the differences in some of the most common congenital heart defects. I apologize in advance if I miss your specific cardiac diagnosis. I would love to hear from you if you want to share about your special anatomy. In the simplest way, congenital heart defects can be divided into two categories, cyanotic versus acyanotic. The term cyanotic or cyanosis simply refers to blood that has not been oxygenated adequately. A lot of times in medicine, we will describe someone as having a cyanotic appearance or they might appear to be blue due to the lack of oxygenation in their blood. For patients who have acyanotic CHD, this means that despite the structural differences in their heart, they're still getting enough blood moving from their body to their heart 
to their lungs, to their heart, and out to their body again. These diagnoses typically include atrial septal defects or holes between the atria of the heart, as well as ventricular septal defects or holes between the two ventricles. These also tend to be some of the more common CHDs that we diagnose. Acyanotic heart defects also include things like coarctation of the aorta, which basically is a narrowing of the aorta after it leaves the heart, which can cause increased pressures sometimes in the upper extremities and decreased pressures in the lower extremities. Might also see pulmonary valve stenosis or narrowing of the valve that the blood flows through to go from the right ventricle into the lungs, as well as aortic stenosis or narrowing of the valve that blood has to travel through to go from the left ventricle out to the body. However, it's important to note that people can have these defects along with other defects that might actually cause them to be cyanotic. It's also important to note that these acyanotic defects can really vary in severity. Some people may never need surgical intervention. Other people may require surgery to prevent the worsening of their condition or to prevent later onset cyanosis. Sometimes the heart can remodel itself as these defects persist, causing much more problems down the road. So it's always important to consult with a cardiologist about what they think the next best step is. Now we move on to the cyanotic heart defects. These can be a lot more complex in nature and can require multi-step surgical corrections, such as the Fontan procedure and others. I'm only going to name a handful, but there are very long lists that you can find on the internet detailing all these conditions. Examples include Tetralogy of Fallot, which is a combination of pulmonary stenosis, a ventricular septal defect or a hole between the ventricular walls, and increased pressures in the right ventricle. Also, a condition called transposition of the great vessels, which is actually when the pulmonary artery and the aorta are switched and enter different heart chambers. So the blood is no longer pumped forward through the heart to the lungs to the heart to the body. Cyanotic heart disease also includes conditions like HLHS or hypoplastic left heart syndrome. This encapsulates a large amount of different heart defects that cause the left ventricle, which is the big pumping chamber meant to pump blood out to the body, causes this chamber to be underdeveloped so that it's very difficult to move blood forward. We also see in this category tricuspid atresia when the valve between the right atrium and the right ventricle doesn't form as well as pulmonary atresia when the valve between the right ventricle and the pulmonary artery does not form. Truncus arteriosus is a condition when the aorta and the pulmonary artery fail to separate during cardiac development. So it's just one large tube that exits the heart. Additionally, total anomalous pulmonary venous return 
is a condition in which the pulmonary veins, which usually transport blood from the lungs back to the left atrium, no longer are connected to the left atrium, but instead attach to other portions of the heart, like the right side of the heart, or even other vessels in the body. This means that oxygenated blood is no longer being delivered to the left side of the heart to be pumped out to the body. Although these conditions can sound very complex and confusing, the large unifying theme of cyanotic heart defects is that there is a portion of blood that bypasses the lungs. Therefore, blood that is returning from the body to the heart and has had oxygen removed because it was just delivered to the tissues does not receive new oxygenation in the lungs, but instead can pass around the lung circulation and be pumped back out to the body. As you can imagine, these defects can cause serious problems even just as a baby is being born. That's why a lot of these conditions, as well as the acyanotic heart conditions, can be detected in utero and might need immediate intervention upon birth so that the baby's life will be saved. Hopefully you all are still with me on this. That was a lot of information to cover and it's so confusing sometimes to think about all these different anatomical variations. On top of all these things, people born with CHD can also have other abnormalities in their anatomy, such as dextrocardia, in which the heart is flipped from pointing to the left side of the body to the right side of the body, as well as larger conditions like situs inversus, which multiple internal organs of the body are facing the opposite direction, not just the heart. I share all these things to illustrate and celebrate how incredible and complex CHD can be. Each treatment plan surgical intervention and cardiac catheterization has to be specialized to fit that particular patient. I also share this to emphasize the fact that it's so important to understand a little bit about your heart condition. Because of the large variety we see in CHD, just saying that you have CHD usually will not provide enough information to your physician when they're trying to address your health concerns. I hope listening to this will give you some more interest about your own heart condition so you can ensure that the next time you have a doctor treating you who might have questions about your medical condition, that you can provide them with some information about your anatomy and some of the cardiac interventions you might have received. Every heart is so unique and incredible. As you can probably tell, I could talk about this topic all day. I absolutely love thinking about different types of CHD and diagnoses. If you have any questions or concerns about your specific diagnosis or just want to share about what you've learned about yourself, I would love to hear it. However, for those of you that are ready to be done with this podcast, I completely understand. Congratulations, you just made it through one of your first medical school level lectures. Please take the rest of the day off. You did fantastic. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Fontan with the Future podcast. My name is Taylor, and I hope you will join me next week to hear more about CHD. 
If you want to reach out or learn more, follow me at Fontaine with the Future on Facebook and Instagram. Thanks again. Hope to have you listening next week.